The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Arturia, Avid, Source Elements, and RSPE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rogers. In this week's edition, I'm joined by Asher, Paul Maunder, and Roger Guerin. We're going to be discussing education, um, audio courses, all of that kind of stuff. Um, what's the proposition? Are they worth it? Are they good? What do we think about them? Um, we've all got some experience of this. Uh, I'm going too far already. I'm going to hand over to Asher because mm-hmm. you wrote the you wrote the talking points for this. So I did. Please, I did. Please take it so- away. Yeah, why don't we just go around the table and explain a little bit about what sort of audio and music education we've each had, and, and then we can kind of go from there, really. Um, Roger, how about you? Let's start with you. Yeah. Um, well, I think I'm the oldest on the team. So uh, in Canada, we didn't have, per se, any kind of uh, audio education. So I had to go to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at the at that point, I was uh, was QC on a uh, high-speed cassette duplicating plant, and they also had a little studio on the side, and that, of course, fascinated me. <laughs> and the chief sound engineer repro- proposed to go to uh, to New York, to the Institute of Audio Research, and that's where I did my my thing. I proposed my own curriculum because uh, I didn't have enough money to to, to take the whole thing, mm-hmm. so I I, uh, I just took the uh, the basic courses enough to understand what's in the manuals to understand que pasa. That's about that's about it. Yeah. Did you just say que pasa? Que pasa. Yes. Yes. Great. <laughs> Great use of language there. Um, yeah, that's cool. What about you, Paul? Did you have a similar experience or something different? Mine's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit different. So, being based in Manchester, you know, there's a few options available for training. And um, in the late '90s, I started working for a small production company, and they wanted me to basically be their sound engineer for some of the video productions they were doing. So they decided that they'd start post-producing sound, but I needed to kind of get the knowledge necessary in order to be able to do that to at least a reasonable degree. So they uh, paid for me to do a course at a place called the School of Sound Recording which is now actually Spirit Studios. And that was an 18-month diploma. And it went over, it was largely actually not post-focused, I should say. It was mostly just general audio concepts with a bit of a music-related spin on it. But nevertheless, it taught me the underlying concepts of sound, the theory, and the practice behind actually setting up microphones, using preamps, making recordings, multi-tracking, and that kind of thing. Um, And then from there... I continued working. Later on, I should just mention this in in passing at this point, um, I did do the certification for the Avid Pro Tools courses, various Mm. different stages of that. And I know, Jules, you've done done that. Was was that useful to you, doing that? It was, even though by the time I started it, I'd already been using Pro Tools for quite a number of years. Um, Some of the stuff on there was kind of, there were several points which I'd overlooked. I think if you self-teach software there's always a, a likelihood that you might miss a few little key points. And so it was yeah. still still very useful. And I did pick up quite a lot of handy tips and just workflow things that sped up my general way of doing things. Yeah, that's the kind of sort of similar to, to, to me in terms of I started off as songwriter, um, an artist, and I kind of learned 
you know, when I was in the studio with other producers like that. And then I realized that I sort of enjoy production. So I started watching YouTube tutorials. Um, and then I just realized I don't have enough sound engineering knowledge to to get um, the tracks where I need them to be. So I enrolled in um, a diploma at London Amp, which was, I think it was a one-to-one for six months. And that was really, really good. It was very hands-on and we learned all about the sort of everything to do with uh, sound engineering. Um, and then I went to Point Blank for three months to do mixing and mastering, which was great as well. Um, so yeah, but that's I didn't cool. actually do a, a uni degree. Yeah, that's that's a worthwhile point, actually. Um, degree courses, I think this is maybe something worth discussing either now or, or perhaps a little bit further in, but um, degree courses are structured in a way where it's it can be fairly academic. You do learn a lot of the practical side of it, but is an academic course necessarily the right thing for sound engineering? Exactly. It's a sort of, a, it's more of a vocation, really, what we do, isn't it, in, in terms of rather than academic yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of the best people have never had a formal education in it. You know, they've. I've had no formal training in audio whatsoever. Um, uh, I, <laughs> you see what I did there? Um, so uh, no, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm 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 I don't know about ten years older than you, Paul. And uh, in the in the late eighties, when I was deciding what I was going to do at that kind of like you know, what do you do after school kind of age, I, I wasn't actually into audio. Mm. I mean, it's into I was into music. But I wasn't into audio. Um, I do mm. remember that at the time, I mean, audio courses weren't really much of a thing. There was a course in Manchester I was dimly aware of that I guess must have been Salford. I don't know. Um, and uh, But Could in the been, UK yeah. kind of, but I speak to people not very much younger than me. Um, and a whole generation of people who were like the first wave through the audio courses that all seemed to spring up during the 90s. And I, I just very slightly predate. So I went and did like a regular degree, quite aimlessly, did terribly, uh, did about as well as I deserved, to be honest. But I was, um, I mean, I, I came in as kind of like a bass player and I could play a bit of keys and I was into being in bands. And it's that kind of route into being interested in the tech side of like you're, you're the most technical out of a bunch of not at all technical people. And somehow you get the job. Mm. But it was that early 90s kind of thing when, uh, out the back of the 80s, when when electronic music, that kind of first wave hit. And I was very interested in that because I was into, I've always been into synthesizers. And from that came an interest in MIDI and multi-tracking. I had a very early experience sitting down in front of a workstation synth. I think it was an SY77 Yamaha, work, like the kind of thing that you can pick up for a tenner on eBay these days, probably because it's all digital and nobody wants it. But it was my first experience of a hardware sequencer, which I thought was magical. And um, and I bought a four track because I was in a band and we wanted to record it. My my earliest understanding of uh, of game structure was having like your little kind of radio cassette recorder with a built-in microphone and it saturating the tape because we were too loud so putting it further and further down the corridor you know i mean that's literally what it was <laughs> ever wondered what it's like to mix an entire album for kanye or layering vocals for chris brown join your hosts cash and g every fortnight as we sit down with some of your favorite artists producers and engineers to talk everything music brought to you by avid pro tools that sounds great so did you learn from experimentation then ah well i mean i wrote a thing about this we kind of touched on this uh, sort of recently but um these days, you can just Google stuff, and there's more information than anyone can ever mm. uh, absorb. But it's all it's all pretty unfiltered, and because of that, um, there's there isn't a great deal of um, I don't know 
I don't really want to call it curation, but you know what I mean? But um, in print media, there's an editor and they you know, dis, d decide the overall shape of things in education, then uh, courses are, d are designed, you know, curriculums are designed. Um, in print media, I mean, so much, I learned so much about audio from reading Sound on Sound in the, in the, in the late 80s and early 90s. And I yeah. poured over every word of it. And it's filling in the gaps because it doesn't say everything. But if you go, well, if that exists and this exists, how do they connect? And you have to figure it out for yourself. Mm. But do you think there's a value to sort of structured courses? Definitely. And I'll pick up on um, Paul's point of, yeah, I, I also, yeah. I've done the um, the instructor training for Avid, um, Avid courseware. And I 100% agree that, um, I mean, one of the first things I did when I got Pro Tools was um, I, I sat down with the, you know, thousand page manual and I, and I read it through once cover to cover, which is... Yeah, I did the same. Yeah, it's, I, think, yeah I think it's only us, to be honest. Hmm. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's bits of it where it gets a bit slow, to be honest. But it's having that complete, you know, I mean, I forgot most of it. A lot of it didn't really mean that much to me, but at least I went through it once. The next time I went through that stuff was going through, you know, being somebody who had, I don't know how many years, but quite a you know, more than 10 years experience in Pro Tools doing Pro Tools 101. And it's kind of like, I'm in the wrong place. You know, this isn't very difficult. But then going, oh, I never knew you could. You know, and there's loads of little things that you've never needed because you know another way of doing it. Well, do you remember we had a, I think it was a podcast with, with Russ um, about the, and we mentioned the saying, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. And so there's lots of things that you can sort of do. But if you don't have a structured course or someone telling you, this is how you start, this is, you know, what audio means, that sort of thing. How, how do you kind of get there? We get comments yeah. like this all the time on the on the blog of uh, if we're doing something, you know, say to do with Pro Tools, and we'll have people who've been using Pro Tools 20 years who go, I never knew that. And mm -hmm. I still get them now. You know, I mean, I'm sure you do, Paul, of like uh, it's a little thing that you've just managed, managed to yeah. escape you the whole time. And it's like, hang on, why did nobody tell me that, you know, 20 years mm -hmm. ago? But, yeah, I, ha I have students that sometimes show me tricks like, oh, I can do that. Cool. I, I, I've had exactly that. In fact, that. that's why I teach. <laughs> yeah, that's why I teach. <laughs> no, no, definitely. I mean, uh, yeah, Roger, completely. I mean, I, I've got, I, 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 I ran a course in music tech um, f uh, for, I don't know, about a decade. And I always said that every, every session I, I taught, I got more from it than any of the students. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, we're constantly learning, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's sort of a lot of free material online, um, YouTube, that sort of thing. But do you think that's as helpful as, you know, for example, doing a structured course? Um, I think it, it can be. But the thing with some of the online stuff on YouTube and so on is how do you find a, the right order in which to do it? You know, someone has to introduce some kind of structure to it because you can just learn random things and pick it up over time. But um, the advantage of a structured course is that it is exact it's exactly that you know someone has put it into a logical order and a flow which mm -hmm. makes sense and you build on knowledge as you go now, i'm not saying that it's everyone should do a structured course but a lot of people are not sufficiently motivated to go out there and find all the information that they need and to do the research and you know what as you know when you learn something it often learn it often kind of leads down another route and you think ah now i know about this i've discovered this area that i didn't know anything about yeah Exactly. Who, who do you want choosing choosing what you need to know? Somebody who already is where you want to get to or the YouTube or Google algorithm? That's a good point. Mm.
Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects, called the AudioFuse Creative Suite, is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit Achoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. But like you said, Julian, it's not curated. So, because uh, to me, it feels like the the Wild West. Um, <laughs> you have to you have to know beforehand yeah. what you're looking for. Uh, so that's because uh, I have students coming in with uh, uh, a, a clip that says, "Oh, this can do this automatically." So, yeah, that's automatic in that particular context. Might be one percent of your workflow, but uh, you have to uh, you have to know. How and where to uh, to dig in for more uh, for more info Definitely. for pertinent mm. can, info. Can mm. I ask you, Roger? I mean, um, uh, you you teach at the moment. Um, what what level of students and what kind of it, is it? Is it a university or is it private courses? Is it kind of eighteen? It's, uh, no, it's a college college level. Okay, so what what age is that then? Okay, um, it's a while. Um, it's um, I have eighteen to twenty five ish. Right. Okay. Got you. And these are and these are people doing what um, a, a full time academic course or is this vocational? Uh, there's there's two types. One of them is a, a one year curriculum, which is only the the, the basics. So we teach them um, post production and game video, I mean sound for game video. And the other one is three years, and you also, which is a full curriculum. And there's like in that you we have a PA, we have sound design for again for game audio, um, for music and post production, the full the full monthly as it were. And I don't know how the funding works in uh, works in Canada, but this is this is all all private. Is this no? Um, it's all it's all uh, it's it's free. It's free. It's all right. Yeah. Okay. That well, is the only thing they have to pay is uh, their laptop and. Um, Maybe some the odd book. Even there are, are a book uh, going a bit old school. There, <laughs> okay, let's say plug-in. Okay, no, I'm, I'm yeah. a big. I'm a big. I'm a, I've got a, a lot of time for books personally. So in that case, Paul, the stuff that you're teaching is is private, is it not? Well, there's, there's a combination actually. So <clears throat> I do teach on some private courses. Every, for example, every Monday evening, I'm teaching on a, a private course which is geared around post-production. Uh, but also during the week, uh, at the moment, I'm teaching on three separate degree courses, which is a little bit heavy going because I'm trying to fit my other work in around it. Um, and there is there is a little bit of a difference, you know, it's in the type of person who chooses to do a degree course and those who choose uh, an industry course, as in a private course. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. generally speaking, people who have paid, because typically for a, a private course, you know, you, there's no funding available. You, you just have to pay out right for it. They are typically more focused than the average degree student. I like the sound of that. <laughs> I'm glad you said that first. <laughs> I'm sure, though, that you've experienced that, Jules, in your time teaching. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, um, the course that I ran was 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 in FE, which, I uh, mean, sort of, uh, you know, um, non-UK listeners. FE, um, uh, further education. So this is uh, school leaver six, principally 16 to, 16 to 19. And uh, that... Is uh, is is free, uh, unless you're coming in as a kind of a, a an older learner or someone. You know, but uh, that's 
effectively an extension of school, but it's kind of more vocational. Um, I have also uh, worked in a UK university, and at universities, so that's uh, principally uh, 18, 18 to sort of kind of early 20s, but it can, of course, be any age. Um, and that, uh, there are fees payable. It's, it's, it's subsidised to some extent, but it's still nine grand a year plus your, your, your living costs. And that's uh, in the UK paid for by a student loan, which is uh, extremely favourable terms for a loan, but it's still a loan. Uh, and yeah, absolutely, it's uh, it's 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 a university. It's it's academic, and it has to conform to all those things that any academic subject expects, which doesn't always tie up particularly neatly with the expectations of something that is. I'm reluctant to use the word vocational because in educational circles that can be viewed quite dimly. Vocational means, you know, not hard or mm, not very mm. worthwhile or something, which I disagree with very strongly. Mm. But it's still, it's not the same as doing a history degree. No. And so so are these degrees, uh, are they worthwhile in, in the music uh, industry? Because I know that none of the studios that I've worked with have asked for qualifications. They just ask for your work and, and if they think you do a good job, then that's fine. So what is the point of getting a, a degree if you want to work in music other than sort of stability in terms of having that degree, you know, I in your go hand? first on that one. Who wants to, who wants to take <laughs> that? Well, my, my spin on it is that um, uh, for your own personal um, benefit, uh, because if you're, if you're, you're, how can I say, parachuted into a situation and you don't know what to do, well, your career might be short-ended. Um, whereas if you have the knowledge, well, you can always wiggle your way out, and with time, uh, you'll have a, you'll have an actual career out of it. But in terms of knowledge, you could get the same knowledge from a from a short course, potentially. Yeah, uh, like like uh, like Paul on the on the uh, on his private. private yeah, like tutoring, a, a diploma tutoring. or something. Yeah. Right, right, right. Part of the reason might be the fact that, uh, at least in the UK, um, you can get funding for a degree and you're less likely to be able to get funding for um, a private course. So there is that. Mm. There's the mm -hmm. affordability aspect. And of course, we know that a lot of people never fully repay their degree loan. You know, it depends on how much you earn and how long it goes on for. Um, just another point about this, though, is that I, I think any course, especially degree courses, although it contains a lot of knowledge and useful information, it shouldn't be seen as the sole thing that you're doing at the time in order to acquire knowledge on the subject. You just stole my mm -hmm. thunder, Paul. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you go and you, you, go, you do the lectures, you do the coursework, but you should be doing stuff outside of that. You need to be finding things to learn of your own accord, you know, and looking into stuff because into stuff, presumably if you're doing a degree, you have an inherent in, interest in the subject matter. Absolutely. And in my experience the students who ultimately do the best in the long run when they start working professionally are the ones who were doing it all the time they went home they were doing it they weren't just going out drinking or messing around with the mates continually they were actually studying you know outside of the course yeah so mm -hmm. the hard workers mm -hmm. basically exactly yeah. There's, yeah. there is there is an element i think of um uh, people who work in industry have a very um single-minded approach to the value of of uh, education which um can be can uh, does overlap with training but education isn't exactly the same thing as training and in the same way that if i go to go to a university and i do uh, i do a history degree um and then i don't go on to work as a historian have i wasted my time and mm. the, exactly the same argument applies to something like doing uh, an audio degree but the problem is because it's it 
looks so vocational, um, it's it's a more difficult uh, jump to make, if you see what I mean. But mm. certainly, if you mm. talk to an academic, they talk about all the things about. I mean, for a start, it's about it's about doing something and completing it over three years, which is you know the first time mm. that certainly a typical undergraduate has done something like that that they haven't been forced through with a cattle prod at school. Mm. There's uh, there's um, the academic skills involved in stuff, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of people complain about kind of having to go and research and write essays about audio. And it's like, why am I doing this? I'm never going to be asked to do this when I'm working as an audio engineer. And it's like, well, okay, but what you're doing is you're doing a degree, and part of that is demonstrating an, a level of academic achievement, which, and you happen to be talking about um, audio while you're doing it. Do you see what I mean? Also, yeah. you're mm -hmm. accessing yeah, you're accessing all of that stuff that comes from being in that part of um, part of the industry and, and yeah, education and training is an industry. Um, there's, there's funding that's available to you and ways of doing things that's available, but there's certain standards that you have to meet to access it. So there's sometimes a slightly uncomfortable fit with that stuff. Uh, and also there's, there's the life skill stuff that every personal tutor at, at any university will say to you about kind of, you know, it's about, you know, for someone who's perhaps 18, leaving home, moving away from home, living in an environment, have all of that kind of interaction and stuff. All of that is absolutely true whilst doing audio. The audio, to some extent, is a hook to get somebody who might not come and do a straight academic subject, traditional degree into that in, into that area of the education system and get them qualified to that level. Now, whether or not that's a good thing is very much up for debate. Years ago, I'd say when when the numbers of people who went to universities was very, very low and the amount of social mobility and all of that stuff was very skewed in a particular direction. Mm. But, you know, we're now kind of, you know, 30 years on from that and things have changed and it's being looked at. And I know that the UK government certainly are looking at some degrees that they're not very comfortable with. And that's been a thing that was hanging over all of our heads for a long time going, oh, dear, you know, are they judging us in the same uh, same standard as you might do if you were going to university to do law or dentistry or <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. it's, it's yeah, not yeah. quite the same it gets complicated so I mean my answer is going to be hmm, depends but the most complicated questions always have that answer don't they the production expert podcast is made possible using source connect now from source elements the free way to record high quality audio over the internet need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely with source connect now you can Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. Well, to, to justify my uh, my uh, initial training to my mother, I, she was because I, I couldn't have enough. Like I said, didn't have money for the whole curriculum. She says, "What what are you going to do without a paper?" I said, "Do we ask Paul McCartney for a paper in the hit songs?" That doesn't exist. Um, my old students, previous students, um, when they applied, they have their paper. But the first thing the uh, employer, potential employer, asks is, "Who were your teachers?" Much has a, a bigger impact than the actual uh, the actual paper. It is. Don't forget, it is technical, but it is also art. Yeah, and teaching teaching art is really really hard. Mm. It's so. Um, Intangible. Uh, also, also, I mean, there is you. You pick up on a good point there of kind of like uh, um, it's it's difficult to create the kind of data that those kind of institutions really enjoy when they because yep. they have to uh, appraise their own success all the time. Mm -hmm. And yep. very often, um, I know when I used to do it when I was designing 
courses and I'd go, I'm going to get a load of people to do this, which isn't really where the value is, but it's going to create some really good data that's going to help me justify my course's existence to my to my overlords. And then right. when we finish doing that, which gives them what they want, then we can do something that I think is valuable to them. And mm. there's a real mm -hmm. tension in there. I mean, it can get very difficult. But uh, but yeah, absolutely, slightly contrived exercises and stuff like that, just so you can stuff a bunch of people through it quickly and get some good hard data on how they're doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, the music industry doesn't work at all like sort of traditional career paths. So you can't just no. get a, a get a degree and then have a sort of job at the end of it. And it's not that sort of thing. It's much more to do with networking, um, the, the the quality of your work and stuff like that. So. Um, that's that's something to think about. Yeah, it's an important point because ultimately all that matters is can you do the job? Can you do it effectively? Do people like working with you, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, is what you're outputting really high high quality? That's what matters in the end. So so Paul, Paul and Roger is people who, who deliver this this kind of stuff, something that I certainly used to used to reiterate over and over again. Um to uh you know acquisitive fact grabbers like like my adolescent self i have to say i mean i recognize this because i've been guilty of it is that um uh what people aren't looking for is knowledge what people are looking for is aptitude and that's different and mm. a readiness to learn and, and the last thing that you want to do on your first gig anywhere is to go in and start explaining stuff to somebody assuming that you know more than they do because you've got a degree because that's you're going to face mm. fast if you do yeah. that much better to go in and say oh yeah and and speak less listen more and Absolutely. be ready to help and 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 and, and don't break stuff yeah. but that brings me to the point of with with sort of all the new plugins, AI, assisted mixing, that sort of thing, can you still be a good producer or engineer without that sort of sound engineering knowledge that, that perhaps we have? It depends if you're solely relying on the AI or if you're using it as a tool to supplement other things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think of it as, as being like, as being like um, are you sat nav, but I know how to read a map. I don't know, is that fair? Mm. So could you still be a good driver if you didn't know how to... Read a map. I, I would, I'd say that anybody can get from A to B using a sat-nav while the sat-nav's working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. but where are you without it? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's... yeah, yeah, absolutely. But my, my spin on AI in our industry, um, it's there, there are potential great tools for, um, for denoising and, and such. But um, to, uh, to do, let's say, a, a mix automatically, um, all of us have been in a, uh, in a situation when we had, uh, I, I did a lot of, uh, uh, commercials and the room would be full of like 10, 10 higher up co creatives and whatever. And on these 10 people, they would have like 12 opinions. So I don't see how AI would be able to take all these inputs and make something that would please everybody. At one point, uh, a human being has to be able to uh, to synthesize all the demands, and then make use or not of AI. Oh, interesting. So, so Roger, what you're saying is is say something that's like a an AI driven denoising plugin. Okay, but yeah, if we yeah, get into absolutely. something like AI mastering. How does that deal with client requests? It's a good point, actually. How how much of the job are you giving over? Right, but I mean, uh, even a uh, because uh, at, at one point people, even my students right now said, why I don't just give all the tracks to an AI thing and it gives me uh, two or three different mixes. It's like, whoa. 
yeah, feasible in maybe five years. But um, again, you have to supply to the client's demands and taste. If you're doing just for yourself, no problem. But if you're doing like a commercial, I mean, that's uh, you have to uh, to address different sensibilities, different demands. I'm not sure that a plugin can do it right now. And also, why doesn't five the, years? Why doesn't the client do that and cut you out of it altogether? I mean, it's, you know, that's the spirit. That's a good point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think um, creating a good record is sort of the mixture of um, combining the art, like you say, Julian, with the kind of technical skills. And it's not, it's not easy. The te it's very technical. So it is kind of being good musically, but also knowing how to compress, how to EQ, how to mix things and master things properly, essentially. Mm -hmm. So um, this is where we, we really need the knowledge. I think we've come back to um, uh, sort of a point that I, that I said earlier about who do you want deciding what you need to know, um, mm. you know, YouTube algorithm mm. or, or or a qualified person, and in exactly the same way, exactly what you just said. Do you want uh, do you want an AI learning model uh, making those decisions for you, or do you want to? Yeah, it's 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 the same thing, just in a different point in the process. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell, and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. So are we all for sort of structured learning then? Is this the general consensus here? Yeah, I'd Absolutely. say so. Yeah. I'd be amazed yeah. if we weren't all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coupled with self-learning. And what about online versus sort of attended courses? Well, during COVID, I had to teach uh, various classes remotely. And um, it's never ideal. You know, especially certain things just do not lend themselves to being remote. You need the interaction and good luck trying to teach surround mixing over Zoom. You know, it's, you, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that it's not useful. But I'm just saying that there's definitely a value to being there in person. You've got the interaction between people and uh, there's just a different dynamic versus everybody sitting there remotely at home. Mm. There, there is an issue with any kind of group learning, which is that um, there's, there's the top 5% and there's the bottom 5%. And if you're doing face-to-face, -face, the top 5% are the 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 bright ones who are really across it, who are enthusiastic, who are your, you know the people you want to be teaching all day. Um, you've got the bottom 5% who are a, a pain in the ass for whatever reason, who just are, are difficult, and, and you spend most of your time dealing <laughs> with them, I'm afraid yeah. to say. Right. But then there's this yep. whole bit in the middle that don't get what they really ought to be getting because they're just getting on with it. They're not making, uh, making themselves particularly noticed for good or for bad reasons. And I think that online stuff amplifies that. And never mind about the the bad. I mean, the bad people in that case just don't just don't log in. So whatever you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, but the good people dominate. And if you're dealing with a medium where everyone else gets muted when you're speaking, then it's going to amplify it. And this is certainly something oh, I've yeah. seen evidence of speaking to people who've basically caught the the back end of their um, school education through COVID. Is... But also shyness could be could be a thing as well because a lot of pupils don't want to sort of put their hand up and ask questions 
potentially because they might get it wrong and it might be embarrassing. Which is exactly why in face-to-face learning, one of the kind of the, the basics is directed questioning. You don't ask open questions. You, say, you don't say, mm-hmm. can anybody tell me what this is? Because then those keen people go, I do, I do, I do. And it feels like everything's going brilliantly. Mm. What you do is you make a point of saying, you there who hasn't spoken all, all day, um, yeah. what, what can you tell me about this? And if the answer is nothing, then you know you've got a problem and you need to go and give that person some one-to-one to, you know, Make sure mm. that they're keeping up. Mm. Yeah, but I, mm. I've also seen, <clears throat> I've also encountered some students where, sorry, can I just cough? <clears throat> yeah, of course, go for it. I've also encountered some students where they specifically don't like being put on the spot. And uh, as, you know, n- not ideal as that may seem, for example, we've had some people in the past where on their student profile it said, should not be put on the spot oh, in yeah. class. You just reminded me of student profiles. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot it's of it's all coming back to you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you do have people who, you know, who you need to, they, there are things you need to know about them that they're not necessarily going to tell you in public. You're absolutely right. And, and in that case, you that. need to kind of spend time with them separately outside of class, you know, afterwards or just before, giving them the support, making sure they're okay. Are you suggesting just... that my regime of merciless bullying is, is counterproductive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, possibly. <laughs> But our spin on it is that uh, we always try to emulate what's in the what I call the real world. Um, and if uh, if you're too shy to ask a question, okay. But if you have a, a, a not a medical situation, but uh, some kind of a personality issue, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be eaten alive in our industry. So you say that, Roger. But I'm thinking of one particular mm-hmm. student of mine who I knew when he was yeah. 16, and he would exactly fitted that that profile now um he right. at the end of the course didn't go into didn't go into industry when and got a job with a manufacturer at kind of you know uh, at age 18 he's now head of product a, a brand that you mm-hmm. have heard of you know mm-hmm. i mean it's like it's mm-hmm. it's all developmental and i do think right. that yeah that's one good thing about this industry is that we it, it does appeal to to introverts and shy people and it can work as well because most of us spend a lot of time in front of a computer on our mm. own you know there's mm. no need to sort of interact with people constantly so it can it can work for for people like that i think right right, right, yeah, right. does a career where you spend all day on your own in a room in the dark in front of a computer not speaking to people appeal and it's like well that, that is quite a lot of <laughs> audio engineering so you know <laughs> these days oh, I don't know. only one screen come on <laughs> 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 a good point well made uh, we could talk about this all day I d- we haven't got to half of the points that were that were on the list that's probably the sign of a good conversation so thank you everyone we should probably move to find of the week brilliant um paul what's your find of the week my find of the week is actually a feature within some software which i've been using for a while and it's within soundly which is basically a searchable sound effects database and the one feature which I've only just started using this week is cloud libraries. So you can upload your own content, your own existing collection of sound effects, add them to the library. The benefit of that is wherever you are, whether you've got your own hard drives with you or not, you can just search your own stuff, pull it down from the cloud, which means you can move around and access all your sound effects. Who makes that? That's, uh, I think the company is called Soundly. The software is called Soundly. Oh, Soundly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Really useful. Fantastic. That sounds useful. Uh, Roger? Well, mine is expensive. <laughs> it's more expensive than my <laughs> car. <laughs> so um, so I got myself three LCR loudspeakers. They're made by Mayer. They're called Ami. 
they were developed by uh, by Mayor Loudspeakers and Skywalker Ranch. They wanted to match what was happening in the editing suites and the um, mixing stage, mm-hmm. and they are fantastic. Really nice. Uh, I'm seeing that they're very uh, good for sort of precision. Oh God, yes, and they're so small, lightweight. You would nice. think they would weigh a ton. Uh, loudspeaker, the low end is yay small, like six point five. Five inches, I think. Mm, mm. But the low end that comes out of there, the high end is so smooth. I mean, I'm in in awe of of, uh, of wow. my purchase. And, and what were you replacing them with? I I had uh, Mackie's uh, THX 824 Mark II. I had three. Uh, nice speakers also. But uh, these guys, uh, they, they, they blow it away, I have to admit. And so much power. How much are they? How much is the damage? <laughs> okay. So, like I said, it's roughly the equivalent of my car, a second-hand car. Um, 17,000 Canadian dollars. <gasps> wow. wow. For three of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For three. Yeah. yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know much about them. They do that really high-end um, blue blue horn or something. Yes. Well, series, yeah, it's like the, which is, which is very high-end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But, yeah. I mean, Maya, I know them from, from PA. Um, and I mean, yep. very well-established PA manufacturer. Yep. But uh, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see to see what well, it is. Back, that way back, they did the um, the uh, a small one of her first excursion in in uh, uh, studio monitors called the HD One, which was also approved by THX. And uh, again, small, heavy, and but the sound was blown away. Mm-hmm. Only a two-way, but it was like my. God, how it's there's there's got to be magic. I have to admit, there's got to be magic. Okay, I'm, I'm just I'm just on the site now, just checking them out because I mean the the deep waveguide, which looks like there's some horn loading. So I'm guessing that they probably go fairly loud. Uh, now's not mm. the time for digging into specs, though. We should come back to this. I'm um, sure I talk about mm. mine. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, mine is uh, mine's this, the new Shure SM7DB. Now, what this is is, I mean, I'm sure we're all aware of the Shure SM7 and. Um, I'm I'm not a fan. I have to say I'm not a fan. They're mm. they're incredibly popular. Um, I'm mm. not saying it's a bad microphone, but um, it's a uh, it's a microphone that I think has become uh, it's 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 got such prominence with YouTubers in particular who've bought them and then plugged them into uh, the front end of their kind of you know cheap USB interface and wondered why it's not loud enough. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of comes with a, a passive dynamic microphone. And um, yeah, what they've done is they've uh, they've, they've stuck a preamp. Well, well and. Uh, a gain stage oh. in it at least. So uh, so it's powered so it puts out a decent level which you can run into uh, um, uh, a less well-equipped microphone preamp which makes the problem go away. My, my thing with it is uh, thank you and at last, and you could have done this a while ago frankly because I mean there's an awful lot of people who were buying uh, cloud lifters for their SM7s which uh, mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. think it's a poor, poor... I've never owned one but I'm not a fan because I, I mean there's one stage on the podcast where I think everybody, when we used to do a lot of team ones, was using an SM7. And I know the sound of them very well from mixing all of that audio. And mm. they're a bit middly, and I don't think they sound that good. And you know. um, and also, they've got a, a captive lead, which I think is just a bad design, just because any any lead breaks eventually. And if you've got a disassembly microphone to fix it, it's like, well, you could just put an XLR in the back. Anyway, multiple issues with the Shure SM7. This is a good idea. For that mm. reason, I bought a, for the same reason, I should say, I bought a, 
uh, an SE, I bought an SE Voodoo ribbon mic years and years ago, and they did a passive and an active version. I got the VR2, the active one, it, for exactly this reason, because I knew with the preamps I had at the time in my interface, I wasn't going to have enough gain. So it's good that they're offering this. Anyway, there we go. So you can have the SM7 look without having the gain problems associated with it. Oh, that's a long answer. That, that Basically, they made cool. a thing they should have made years ago. Michelle, <laughs> <laughs> what's yours? Saved on it. Um, mine is is just uh, the Antares announcement. Um, they're actually, it's to do with education. Um, they've announced, they're producing a series of videos in Spanish on their YouTube channel. Um, and I thought that's pretty cool for, for Spanish speakers. Mm. Um, but it made me think about the barrier to entry in terms of, is there a sort of a, a barrier in terms of uh, language? And can we use things like automatic transcription to, to potentially help with that? It's certainly something that didn't exist years ago. Um, mm. I mean, it's, uh, that's, that's very cool they're being so thorough. Yeah, mind you, if you were going to do, if you were going to do, uh, um, uh, it, it always, it always, um, I have to remind myself just how many people globally speak Spanish. <laughs> a lot, <laughs> oh, an awful lot. Yeah. So yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of the the language barrier in in education? Roger, what you could you could speak to that just because I mean, uh, um, Canada's got a, got a, a a language split. Yeah, well, my course uh, is all in French. With and since our industry, every component of our industry is in English, I'm always uh, I'm always trying to find the French equivalent, but um, yeah, it's mainly mainly in English. So mid sentence you would have uh, a reverb because the word reverb in French is not reverb; it's reverberation. Mm. So yeah, it's uh, it's a toss, but that's yeah, it's the nature of the beast. To see the, the, I, th I think something that uh, that always catches me out, and it really shouldn't do, but it just shows shows how kind of anglocentric you can be if you're a native English speaker and how lazy you are about these things. It's just alternative keyboard layouts catch me out every time when I encounter them. Um, uh, do, I mean, do, do you do you use what is is it Azerty or something? What's the what's the name of the French keyboard layout, Roger? Um, uh, Azerty, yeah. But yeah. again, we, we use the QWERTY You do use QWERTY, okay, right. Oh, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Uh, I, th I think it's only mainly the French in France that use the Azerty Oh, okay. Because uh, my, my, my brother lives in France. I come across them when I'm over okay. there and it always... Yeah, yeah. But if you look at the historical reasons for that, it's the whole... If you don't know why key, um, QWERTY keyboards and, and you know, typing keyboards are set out the way they are, it's really interesting. It's, a, it's about not jamming a mechanical typewriter. <laughs> oh, okay. oh yeah it's so because yeah. so the, yeah anyway just just look it up now's not the so time. things like key commands do you run into any issues with with that or i suppose because you use the, the the typical yeah well that's that's a, a slight problem um because my i learned all this in in english of course so i have uh dual citizenship <laughs> i have to use the uh, american keyboard to do uh, all the proto stuff and then when i write in french of course i have to change keyboard and uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the basic command C, command V are, are the same, but uh, mm -hmm. so many other quick keys are not the same. Uh, you, you forget you're in French keyboard and then you're doing something in Pro Tools that, whoa, it's not reacting the way it should. Oh my God, again, I have to change my, my keyboard setting. It's fast, but still it's a pain in the well, but yeah. I just think, and there's, and there's us belly aching about, uh, about um, uh, modifiers being different between Mac and Windows keyboards and it's like, come on, yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. not that bad. Exactly. Right. 
Um, okay, so uh, I, I mean, we should we should wind things up. We've run f- fairly long on this, but there's a lot to say. So, and um, thank you very much to a show, Roger and Paul, uh, for coming talking about education and all things related with that. So, um, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert Podcast. <laughs>